Welcome to Jaded YA Reads, a YA read aloud podcast for tweens, teens, and adults, brought to you by the Wells Public Library. This season, we're reading The Girl with the Silver Eyes by Willow Davis Roberts, with permission from Simon and Schuster. Chapter 12. It was her school picture from last year, the one her grandma had had framed for the top of the piano and had sent copies of to both Monica and her father. Now it stared out from the television screen, a small owl-like face with horn-rimmed glasses. Katie wondered if she was going to throw up. We interrupt this program for a special bulletin, the voice accompanying the picture said. Catherine Joyce Welker, age nine, is missing. Anyone seeing this child, please call the city police at... Katie didn't hear the number. She clutched the borrowed pajamas against her chest and fled to the little bathroom beneath the stairs. What could she do now? All those kids, and probably Mr. and Mrs. Jones upstairs, had seen her picture. The house that had seemed a refuge was now a trap. She was standing there in the darkened bathroom with the door open when Jackson Jones came back downstairs. He was carrying a tray, and seeing that Katie was not sitting on the sleeping bag, he put down the tray and turned to find her behind him. What's the matter? Katie beckoned to him with a finger before whispering the awful news. They just had my picture on TV. They said to call the police if anyone saw me. Jackson Jones whistled and looked at her with one blue eye and one green eye. Wow, he frowned uneasily. Maybe you better tell me. What did you do? I didn't do anything. They think I killed my grandma, though. They're going to lock me up if I can't prove I didn't do it. Jackson Jones whistled again and glanced over his shoulder to make sure none of the little girls in the family room were paying attention. I thought you just needed a place to hide for one night, but I guess we'll have to make some long-range plans tomorrow. Let me sleep on it, and I'll see what I can think up. You aren't going to turn me in? Katie asked. You didn't do anything, did you? So why should I turn you in? There must be some way to prove you're not a criminal. But everybody out there saw my picture. Wearing your glasses? Did the picture show you with glasses? Yes, just like I look now. Take the glasses off then. He reached out and did it for her. There, that makes you look different. Was your hair the same too? Maybe you could braid it or something to be different. Nobody will recognize you if you do that. So she tried it. Without her glasses, everything more than a foot away became fuzzy, as if she were peering through thick fog. It made her uneasy not to be able to see very well, yet it was true she did look very different without the glasses. The braids she made weren't especially neat, but they helped too. By the time she'd put on Carol Jones's pajamas and came out of the bathroom, she was still nervous, but she hoped that she didn't look enough like the picture on the television so that anyone would recognize her before she could figure out what to do next. Jackson Jones had brought her a plate with cold spaghetti, molded salad, a buttered roll, and some carrot sticks. Katie ate it sitting cross-legged on the sleeping bag, and when her stomach was full, she felt better. The little girls, there were only 15 of them when she took her time to count, ran around and went past her, giggling half a dozen times. No one took any particular notice of her, except that one girl passing around potato chips offered her the bowl. Katie took some and munched thoughtfully. Jackson Jones was right that none of them took her to be the girl who was wanted by the police. So probably it was safe to sleep here. But what was she going to do tomorrow, when all the giggling little girls went home? During the evening, Jackson Jones didn't come back. He was still in the house, though, because twice Katie heard someone calling to him. Jackson Jones, shut that door! And 
Jackson Jones, you come out of that bathroom or I'm going to tell Ma. Katie wasn't quite so lonesome, knowing he was upstairs somewhere. Besides watching television and whispering and giggling a lot, the little girls at the slumber party ate. And although Katie's sleeping bag was off in a dimly lighted corner, they brought her food too. Apparently, each of them thought she was part of the group, a guest of the Joneses, even if none of them knew her. They brought her soda pop and Twinkies and popcorn and about 10 o'clock, hot dogs fresh from the kitchen. Junk, her grandma would have called it, but it tasted good to Katie. On the 11 o'clock news, her picture came on again. Somehow she hadn't expected that and Katie cringed, curling down inside the bag in case anyone looked at her to compare her with the girl on the screen. No one was paying any attention though. Dorothy Jones flicked the switch, and the picture of a fair-haired child with horn-rimmed glasses faded into blackness. "'Let's don't watch TV anymore,' she said. "'Let's tell stories. Ghost stories.'" Katie listened to the kids talk, feeling much older than they were, although most of them were no more than a year younger than she was. Ghost stories, told in whispers and dramatic voices, would have been fun, if she hadn't been worrying so much about how she was going to elude the police forever. She'd read a story once about some kids who ran away and lived in a boxcar all by themselves, but she didn't know where there was a boxcar. Besides, she'd need money to buy food and things, and it was hard for a not-quite-ten-year-old to earn money. At 11.30, after a particularly loud shriek of pretended fear and then a flurry of laughter, a male voice yelled down the cellar stairs. Okay, you kids, knock it off now. The rest of us gotta get some sleep. Gradually, the slumber party quieted down and the kids dozed off. Katie did too, because it had been a long, difficult day. But she continued to worry, even in her sleep. She thought, sure, in the morning, that someone would ask her who she was, but nobody did. All the girls slept late and woke to dress in summer clothes much like Katie's, so she didn't stand out that way. When they all trooped upstairs for breakfast, she decided to go along. She had intended to save her Twinkie for breakfast in case she had to run again, but she'd rolled over on it during the night and it was pretty flat. Katie decided to stuff it in her pocket for an emergency and see if Mrs. Jones would ignore her too in all that batch of kids. She did. She was making pancakes for 15, no, 16 little girls, and she was too busy to look at anyone's face. Katie sat with the others around a big oval table and had sausages and pancakes with blueberry syrup and drank a tall glass of orange juice. She didn't know what to do, though, when after breakfast, the girls' mothers began arriving to take them and their sleeping bags home. She was, of course, the last one left. Jackson Jones hadn't showed up, and Katie felt panic rising again within her. Mrs. Jones smiled at her. Your mother's not here yet? Would you like to sit on the front porch in the swing and wait for her? I think Dorothy and Carol are out there with Jenny Evans. You can wait there too if you like. Katie didn't like, but she didn't know how to refuse without calling further attention to herself. She was greatly relieved when she opened the front screen door to see Jackson Jones coming up the steps with his empty paper bag slung over his shoulder morning delivery on weekends, he told her, easing the bag onto the porch. Did you get some breakfast? Katie nodded. She wished she dared to put on her glasses. She had to squint to see without them. Carol and Dorothy and their last guest were out on the sidewalk playing hopscotch, waiting for the final mother to arrive, so Katie and Jackson Jones could talk without being overheard. He lowered his voice anyway. There's a real ruckus at your place, he said. Katie's heartbeat began to pick up speed. Your mother asked me if I'd seen you. She looked terrible, Katie. She'd been crying. Maybe you ought to let her know you're all right. Katie's throat felt tight. 
If I let her know I'm all right, she'll want me to come home, and then they'll arrest me. Mr. Cooper asked me if I'd seen you too. What did you tell him? Said I'd seen you yesterday and that I didn't remember what time it was. That's the truth. I don't have a watch and I didn't look at a clock after we got home. And Mrs. Michaelmas asked about you too. I guess she must have told Mr. C what I could do, Katie said and then belatedly remembered that Jackson Jones wasn't aware of all those things. Boy, I wish I could do some magic, Jackson Jones said. Maybe Mr. Pollard would get so he'd pay the first time and save me all those times going back. What else can you do? Not much, Katie said sadly. Not enough to get myself out of trouble. In fact, that's what got me into trouble in the first place. I didn't hurt anybody. But I guess it scares people when I move things without touching them. And some of them decided I was dangerous. They think I pushed Grandma Welker down the stairs, but I didn't. Anybody who'd think a thing like that would have to be pretty stupid, Jackson Jones said. Could you move that beer can that somebody dropped in the street? Katie turned and saw the silvery can lying in the gutter. She flipped it along, rolling, until it jumped the curb and landed beside a can that had been set out for the garbage collector. Hey, that's neat. Yeah, but it makes me different. and People don't like kids who are different. Jackson Jones nodded. I know. They make fun of my eyes. I don't see what difference it makes if one's blue and one's green. I can see out of both of them, and that's what counts. They make fun of you, but they aren't afraid of you. Katie said. Mrs. M says that's why people are cruel, because they're afraid of anybody who's different. Jackson Jones sank down onto the top step. I'm afraid I didn't come up with any very good ideas overnight, he confessed. Even in this house, I couldn't keep people from noticing you forever. Maybe you should at least talk to your mom on the phone. Maybe she can think of some way to keep them from arresting you. She can probably get a lawyer for you. They don't put people in jail without a chance to talk to a lawyer. What good would that do? Unless the lawyer could convince them I didn't hurt my grandma. And he wasn't there. Nobody was there. So how can I prove anything? Katie sat down beside him, watching the other girls playing out in front. One of them had spotted the silvery beer can, and they were kicking it back and forth as if it were a ball. Besides... I think they don't have to let kids have lawyers, only grown-ups. There was a boy at our school who kept running away and setting fires, and they put him in a juvenile detention center. He didn't have a lawyer. Well, at least your mom would feel better, knowing you aren't hurt or anything. And Mrs. Michaelmas said to tell you she wants to talk to you, too, if I see you. The way she looked, I think maybe she knows I wasn't telling quite all of the truth. Katie considered. Maybe I could talk to her. If I talk to Monica and she cries, she'll make me feel worse than I already do, and it won't do any good. I'm not going home if they're going to arrest me and put me in jail. She was so depressed, she almost wished she would cry. What are you going to do then? Jackson Jones wanted to know. I'd let you stay here, but Ma's sure to notice you sooner or later. I guess I'll go try to find those other kids, Katie told him, and didn't remember until she saw his startled face that he didn't know about the others. You mean there are more kids like you? Can they do magic too? It isn't magic. I mean, I think it's telekinesis, and I don't know if the others can do it or not, but maybe they can. Oh, she broke off because through the mist that obscured her vision, Katie saw a figure coming along the street on the other side, or rather, two figures, a tall boy with a big dog. She reached into her pocket for her glasses. In her eagerness, she forgot to push them on with her fingers, and she didn't notice that Jackson Jones allowed his mouth to fall open as the glasses settled comfortably, all by themselves, onto her nose. It was the boy from the park, the one who might be Eric Van Alsberg, being dragged along by the huge Airedale, and Katie rose to her feet, wondering how to approach him without scaring him off again. And right then, 
while her mind was occupied with something else, Mrs. Jones came out onto the porch and saw Katie with her glasses on. She put a hand to her mouth. Good heavens, it's the little girl the police are looking for, she said. But before Mrs. Jones could do anything about it, Katie fled down the steps. Chapter 13 She heard Jackson Jones calling after her, but Katie didn't stop. Her flight had been unthinking, propelled by sheer panic, and it was only when she began to feel winded that she realized she'd run in the opposite direction from the boy with the big dog, the boy who might be Eric. She turned and looked back, hoping that by some miracle the boy had turned too and was approaching her. But there was no one, however, no one at all. No one was chasing her. Would Mrs. Jones call the police? Katie had to assume that she would, which meant that Katie would have to find a place to go, a place to hide. Yet she couldn't hide forever. Maybe she couldn't even hide for a day or two. Jackson Jones thought she ought to contact her mother because Monica was worried about her. Only was she worried because she thought Katie was dangerous or because she wanted to protect her? Katie's instinct was to keep on running, but she had a stitch in her side and she was breathing heavily through her mouth. She couldn't run anymore for a while. So instead, she walked. She didn't take the bus, although she had a few coins left in her pocket, and eventually she came to a place where things looked familiar. She was only a block from Dale Casey's house. Could he help her? Probably not, Katie decided. She didn't even think he would be home, but he was the only hope she had. If he really was like she was, and she was convinced that he was, then he would at least understand about her, and that was more than anyone else had ever done. The Casey house sat in the middle of the block, looking normal and not at all frightening. Yet after the way Mrs. Casey had yelled, Stop that child! at her husband, Katie was leery of approaching it again. She stood pressing a hand to her side, trying to think. And after a few minutes, it occurred to her that a car was sitting in front of the house, the car Mr. Casey had driven up in when Katie was there. Of course, that didn't prove anything. Some families had more than one car. But maybe the Caseys had come home early. Maybe Dale was around. Katie did something then that she'd never tried before. She reached out with her mind into that house. She didn't know what it was like inside, nor where Dale would be if he were home. But she sent currents of air moving, air that would give the curtains and draperies a life of their own. If there were papers lying loose, they, too, would shift position. If she'd known which room Dale was in, she'd have flung a few small stones against the windows as well. Dale had indicated that he could read minds. Could he read hers from half a block away if she tried very hard to catch his attention? She stood there in the warm summer sunshine until her upper lip was beaded with perspiration. Lots of people had ESP, she knew that. She'd read about it often. So maybe if Dale had a little more than ordinary people, he would feel that she was there. She tried so hard that she squeezed her eyes shut and held her breath until it suddenly exploded in a small gasp when she couldn't hold it any longer. Katie opened her eyes, and there he was, coming out of the front door of the big house. He paused on the front steps, looking around very casually, as if he had come out looking for nothing more important than to see what the weather was like. And then, without looking at her at all, he crossed the street and started walking in Katie's general direction. For a moment, she thought it was just coincidence that he'd emerged from the house while she waited, because if he stayed on the far side of the street, his path wouldn't cross hers. After a moment, though, she realized that he might be taking precautions in case anyone was watching. When he was almost opposite her, Katie turned and went around the corner so that no one from the Casey house could possibly see her. And sure enough, 
A moment later, she heard the padding of Dale's tennis shoes on the sidewalk behind her. It made her feel peculiar to look into those silver eyes, so different from any she'd ever seen, except for her own. Peculiar and excited all at once. Boy, Dale said, you're sure creating a ruckus. Do you know they showed your picture on TV last night and told people to call the police if they saw you? Katie licked her lips. Did they say what for? No. He hesitated, then blurted out. My mom called them. They just talked to her. They didn't send a police officer out to the house. He hesitated again before he added, My dad picked up a piece of paper you dropped. It had some names on it. Mine and two other ones. He pulled a crumpled slip out of his pocket and handed it to her. The police wanted to know about it, but Dad couldn't remember what the names had been, except for mine. He doesn't know I have it. Katie took the paper, although she didn't need it anymore. She had memorized the names, and it didn't tell her how to find Eric Van Ellsberg. Did you read my mind, she asked, when I wanted you to come outside? For the first time, she saw Dale grin. It made some of his freckles disappear into the creases. Boy, you almost overdid it. With the wind, I mean. My dad was reading the Sunday paper and it flew all over the room, and the financial section blew into the fireplace and burned up before he got to read it. And it knocked over a bud vase onto a letter Mom was writing and spilled water all over her desk. She thought maybe I did it. The grin faded. I get blamed for everything like that, even if I don't do it at all. But you really heard me asking you to come out? Katie was intrigued by that. It seemed a handy ability to have. Not heard you exactly. I was alerted when the wind began to blow inside the house, because I used to do that sometimes, before I decided it caused more problems than it was worth. So then I sort of went looking for you, or whoever was causing the wind, you know, mentally, and I felt you were waiting, somewhere close by. I don't know exactly why I did it, Katie confessed, except that I didn't know what else to do. Can you read the whole story in my mind, or shall I tell you about it? It's easier if you tell me, Dale decided. I can't read everybody's minds. I'm just learning, you know. It sort of makes my head ache to try too hard or for too long. So they walked over to the park where the same old man was again feeding the pigeons and they sat on the edge of the pool and talked. It was strange and exciting to talk to Dale because it was the first time in her life that Katie had felt able to admit to anything that came into her head without being afraid of the consequences. And Dale, it was clear, was having the same experience. They've kicked me out of three schools, he admitted. They said I was a disruptive influence. Actually, I didn't do anything to anybody who didn't do something to me first. I don't know why the other kids picked on me, except that they always made remarks about my funny eyes. And one day I realized that this kid was planning to trip me when I walked past him. So I thought how neat it would be if his milk carton tipped over in his lap right then and thinking about it seemed to make it happen. So he forgot about tripping me. And after that, I always seemed to know if they were planning something mean and I could counteract it. Only the teacher said I caused trouble. Anyway, he concluded, I guess being kicked out of school isn't as bad as having the police after you because they think you killed your grandmother. Katie was glad she'd found an understanding friend, but that didn't change her basic problem. She came back to it with a sigh. Do you think you could read Mr. C's mind and find out for sure what he intends to do about me so I'd know if I could go home or not? Dale looked toward the fountain in the middle of the pool and suddenly the water sprayed over his outstretched hand and arm, cooling them. When he put his hand back in his lap, the fountain returned to normal. Well, I could try. If people don't want to let anyone know what they're thinking, it's harder. Like I said, I'm just learning. Do you have to get close to him to do it? It helps. I picked you up from half a block away, but that was probably because I was looking for you and you were trying to send a message to me. 
This Mr. Cooper won't be trying to do that. Katie was feeling very warm and she decided to try Dale's technique with the fountain. It was actually quite easy to make the water blow over her in a cool, fine mist. Can you send messages the way I did to you as well as read minds? Dale considered. I don't know, I never tried. There was never anybody to send a message to who wouldn't have thought he was going crazy. Try to send me a message now, Katie suggested. So they sat there on the concrete edge of the pool and both of them concentrated. And in her mind, almost like the impressions she'd received from Lobo the cat, came an image. An image of food steaming hot and a glass of cold milk. It reminded her that Mrs. Jones's pancakes had been eaten a long time ago. Katie swallowed. I can almost smell the hamburgers, she said. Dale grinned. Me too, with onions. Katie nodded, but she knew there was something more important than eating at the moment. If you could send me a message about the food, can you send a message to Eric? I think he saw me and realized I knew he had made the frisbee act up. He was afraid of what I might do or say about it, so he hurried away. Can you reach him and tell him we're friends and that we need to get together? Dale shrugged. I never tried it, but what do we have to lose? Tell me again what he looks like, as much detail as you can remember, and I'll think about that as well as the message. So Katie told him, and Dale closed his eyes and tried to project his thoughts to the boy they had yet to meet. And on the off chance that she too might be able to use her mental powers in this way, Katie did the same thing. After about 10 minutes, they found they had to rest. It sort of gives me a headache to try so hard, Dale admitted. It was Katie who saw him coming and rose slowly to her feet, the electrical trickle of excitement somehow being communicated to Dale so that he too turned and stood up. He came straight toward them, a tall, dark-haired boy wearing glasses, carrying a white paper sack. He didn't have the dog this time, but otherwise, he was the same as Katie had described. And behind the lenses of his glasses, his eyes were silver-colored. Are you Eric? Katie asked tentatively, although she felt quite certain that he must be. The delicious aroma of hamburgers with onions wafted from the paper sack, and she knew they'd done it. She and Dale had called up this boy they'd been searching for. Eric spoke slowly. Then there are more like me. I always thought there must be. He handed Katie the sack, regarding her seriously with the silvery eyes. I assume these are yours? How did you do it? Find me and make me buy your lunch? Dale did it mostly, Katie volunteered. I saw you here in the park, moving the frisbee, and I guessed who you were, only I didn't know how to find you when you ran away. Dale can read minds, though, at least some of them, and he can send messages without speaking. Can you do that, too? Not that I know of. I've concentrated more on not letting anybody know what I was thinking, instead of the other way around. Eric studied their faces, and particularly their eyes. I wouldn't have run if I'd been close enough to see you like this. I'm not telepathic enough to figure out what's going on, I'm sure of that. Is anybody going to explain? Katie dug into her pocket for coins and a crumpled dollar bill to pay for the lunch, then passed one of the foil-wrapped hamburgers to Dale. They ate them sitting on the edge of the fountain pool, taking turns talking. Eric wasn't eating, so he was the one who began. First, I got this strong feeling I should come to the park, he said. And then, after I decided maybe I ought to do it, even if I didn't know why, I felt a compulsion to stop and buy two hamburgers with onions. It was crazy, but I did it anyhow. Dale started to laugh. I guess you can project as well as I can, Katie. I wasn't thinking about the food anymore. Who are we? Eric asked. I decided I must have been born on some other planet, maybe brought here in a flying saucer and left for human beings to raise. I thought maybe someday the aliens, my own people, would show up and ask me to rise up against normal humans, and I'd have to decide whether to do it or not. 
They'll stop chewing. Would you go against humans if you were an alien from outer space? Eric considered. His dark hair had fallen forward into his eyes, and Katie noted that he made it move back into place and smooth itself out without touching it or thinking about it. I hadn't decided. Mostly, they've been pretty good to me, my folks had anyway, even if they don't understand me. I guess you don't think we're aliens? So they explained to him that they thought it had something to do with the dangerous drug their mothers had worked with before any of them were born. Sometimes all three of them talked at the same time, but it didn't seem to matter. Nobody got confused. Katie had never felt so exhilarated in her life. And then she remembered. The police are looking for me, she said. They think I pushed my grandmother down the stairs, and Mr. C moved into our apartment house to try to find out things about me. I don't know for sure if he is the police, but I'm afraid to go home until I find out. That shouldn't be too hard, Eric said. If Dale can read minds, we can just get close enough to him and find out what he has in mind. Well, I can't read everybody's mind, Dale said, wiping his mouth on a paper napkin. He sounded apologetic. But I can try. It does seem to help if I get close to them. Shall we go see what we can do? Katie drew in a long, shaky breath. All right, she agreed. Let's go. Chapter 14 There was no police car in front of the Cedars' apartments this time, but they didn't take any chances. Katie led the way around the back, through the alley, and they crept up through the shrubbery to look around. A few minutes later, an unfamiliar vehicle pulled up, and when the people got out of it, Katie felt Dale's fingers digging into her arm. His whisper was more felt than heard. It's her, the other one, Carrie Lamont. The girl was about their age and even smaller than Katie. She had dark curly hair and horn-rimmed glasses. As she stood on the sidewalk, waiting for her parents to get out of the car, she seemed to look right at the three children, mostly hidden behind the little cedar and bonsai trees. Mrs. Lamont was tall and thin and would have been pretty if her mouth hadn't looked as if it was always twisted crossly. Come on, Carrie, they're waiting for us, she said. Mr. Lamont was older than his wife, with a fringe of graying hair around a bald spot that he didn't bother to try to cover up, the way Mr. P did. He wore work pants and a plaid shirt and heavy boots, and he looked just as cross as Mrs. Lamont. This still sounds crazy to me, he said. He had a very deep voice that rumbled out of a stout chest. Just because somebody else has got a kid as peculiar as ours, why do we have to come rushing over here right in the middle of the ball game. Why couldn't we have waited until I found out how the last inning came out? The family group was moving toward the building. Katie and the boys remained frozen into position, and only Carrie seemed aware of them. She didn't say a thing, though. Katie knew they ought to try to send her a telepathic message, but between her own fear and excitement, she couldn't think of anything that made sense. I told you, Mrs. Lamont said, in a tone that sounded as if she said the same words often. Monica called and said that Sandra Casey had found a note with Carrie's name on it and Dale's and another boy's. And it's just as I suspected. Those other kids are as peculiar as Carrie is. And now Monica's little girl has disappeared and we have to find out what's going on. Why? Mr. Lamont asked, kicking at a rock on the sidewalk. Is knowing about those kids going to make Carrie any different? They talked about Carrie as if she wasn't there or was deaf and dumb. Didn't they know what it made a kid feel like to know she was considered a freak even by her own parents? I don't care about anything but your stupid ball game, Mrs. Lamont said. She was close enough now so that Katie could really see how pinched her mouth was. You don't care about what's best for your kids. They were still arguing as they entered the building, and then the waiting trio heard Carrie's voice, soft but firm. I forgot my handkerchief. I'll be up in a minute, Mother. Apartment 2A, 
Mrs. Lamont told her, and then the door clicked softly shut. Carrie didn't return to the car, however. She stood on the sock, looking toward the shrubbery. Over here, Dale called in a voice like an old-time stage villain, and Carrie obediently came toward them. She didn't seem surprised or uneasy as Katie thought she might have under the circumstances. She looked directly into each face, evaluating first the boys and then Katie. Her voice was quiet and melodious. I got your letter. I was trying to figure out how to answer it when your mother called. They found blood in the kitchen and they were afraid somebody kidnapped you or something. Katie lifted the finger with the band-aid on it. I cut myself on the lid of the tuna fish can, that's all. I wasn't kidnapped. They want to arrest me because they think I pushed my grandmother down the stairs. Carrie's glasses rose, hovered, and settled more firmly on her small nose. No, they don't. I mean, maybe somebody does, but that's not why the police are looking for you. Your mother called them because they thought something bad had happened to you. They suspect foul play. Foul play? That meant someone had murdered her, didn't it? Katie felt a pang of regret if that was what Monica had been worrying about. Poor Monica. You mean they aren't going to arrest me? No, they aren't even looking for you anymore because of Mrs. Jones called the police, so they know you're all right, that you've only run away instead of being kidnapped. But Mr. C is still here. That's his car over there, Katie pointed. And he's been asking questions about me and he frightened Mrs. M. He wants me for something. He came here to find out about me. He didn't just happen to move in and bring nothing to cook in and nothing to eat but yogurt and peanut butter sandwiches. Katie was feeling confused and her words came out that way too. But it didn't seem to bother Carrie. I don't know about him. But if you could all send me messages without speaking to me, we should be able to handle Mr. C, whoever he is. Dale cleared his throat. I can read minds a little. We were thinking of getting close enough to Mr. C to see if I could sort of listen in on him. He's up there now with your mother, Harry said, and my parents, and I think they've called Dale's parents and probably Eric's mother too. Whatever Mr. C is here for, it concerns all of us, not just Katie. Katie stared at her, and then at the boys. Was that true? Has she misinterpreted what she'd overheard? Had Mr. C's questions not been a personal attack on Katie, but an investigation into anyone who was able to do unusual things? I liked Mr. C when he first came, she said slowly. Only he pretended to be something he wasn't, and he tried to get Mrs. M to talk about me, and I was afraid. I'm afraid a lot, Carrie confessed. It's so hard to remember not to pick up your pencil without touching it when you've dropped it, and to use your hands to do simple things you can do perfectly well without them. Can you read minds? Eric asked. No, but I can see in the dark, Carrie stated. My father's always saying, for heaven's sake, turn on a light in there. How do you expect to find anything in the dark? And I can only move things without touching them if they're small. Me too, Katie said, the electrical trickle of excitement in her veins making her tingle all over. Only I'm getting stronger, I think. I moved one of those big rocks around the flower beds. I wonder if we all worked together, we could move something bigger. For a moment, they were all caught up in the idea, forgetting the problem with Mr. C. They looked around for a worthy project upon which to combine forces. Miss K's light blue pinto rolled into the parking lot, and Miss K got out. By common, unspoken consent, the four crouched lower behind the shielding shrubs. And, unexpectedly, Mr. P climbed out of the passenger side of the car, struggling with two heavy bags of groceries. Sure appreciate the lift, he told Miss Kay. Listen, I've got the makings for a steak dinner here, if you'd like to join me. I don't think so, thanks, Miss Kay said. She started walking briskly toward the front door of the apartment house, almost as if she were anxious to get away from him. Dale's freckled face was pressed into the scratchy branches. She forgot to set her parking brake, 
he said under his breath. I'll bet all of us together could move her car. We could roll it right forward into the next parking slot. No, Katie said quickly. It might roll all the way back out into the street, and I wouldn't want anything to happen to her car. Miss Kay's a very nice person, but he isn't. Maybe we could help him get his groceries inside, Eric suggested. They look pretty heavy. Maybe he'd appreciate the help. Katie didn't stop to think of all the things that Mr. P already blamed her for. She never even thought about any possible consequences. It was so exciting to be working with three other kids as a team that she didn't try to stop them. What happened next was as much a surprise to them as it was to Mr. Pollard. Well, almost as much, Katie amended, staring so hard she nearly fell through the bushes and out into plain view. Because the bags that Mr. P had been clutching as if they were very heavy had seemingly taken on a life and motion of their own, they plunged out of his arms and smashed themselves against the front door, which unfortunately was just closing behind Miss K. Cans rolled in every direction and a package of rice broke and spilled out across the sidewalk. A bottle of wine broke too, sending a spreading stain on the cement. A white-wrapped meat package skidded away to the foot of a passing and astonished St. Bernard. A white-wrapped meat package skidded away to the feet of a passing and astonished St. Bernard. Mr. P yelled in frustrated rage, and the St. Bernard, taking advantage of the circumstances, picked up the package and trotted down the street with it. Hey, you mangy mutt! Come back with my steak! Nobody was sure who, if anyone in particular had caused one of Mr. P's cans to fly up in the air. They all saw it come down, though, and nobody was quick enough to change its path. It hit Mr. P squarely in the middle of his bald spot. Oh, crumb, Dale muttered, and began to back away on all fours. Let's get out of here. Eric said something, too, but it was lost in Mr. P's howl of anguish. The others were already following Dale's lead, but Katie's shirt front was caught on a rose bush. As she jerked it free, she heard Miss Kay ask, What happened? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to let the door swing shut in your face. And Mr. P's angry retort, It's that blasted kid again. She's around here somewhere, and even if the police have given up on her, I haven't. I'll fix her if it's the last thing I ever do. Katie, come on. Eric tugged on her arm. Her blouse came free and Katie ran. They didn't rest until they had reached the alley where they leaned, panting, against a row of garbage cans. I think, Carrie said in a small voice, that we overdid it. Yeah, but we proved something too, didn't we? That if we work together, we're stronger, Dale pointed out. Just think what it would be like if we could all go to the same school. That would probably make it worse, Eric said. He'd hit his hand on something, and he wiped the blood off on his pants. I mean, if the kids don't like one peculiar person, how would they react to four of us? Katie looked around at them, a circle of faces that were all different, except that each had silver eyes behind thick glasses. I feel better, though, knowing I'm not the only one. And there could be more, couldn't there? Maybe we could find more of us if we really tried. Eric decided his wound wasn't worth worrying about and stuck the hand in his pocket. Would you suggest that we run an ad in the paper? Call this number if you have silver eyes and paranormal powers. No, but there must be something we could do. I don't want to go back to living the way I did before, feeling all by myself. I wonder, she speculated wistfully, if my mother will like me a little better if she finds out I'm not the only one? Nobody answered that. She wondered if the others had had the same problem as she had. After a moment of silence, Katie pushed herself away from the garbage can and put as much strength into her voice as she could. I guess, she said, we'd better go see what we can find out about Mr. C. They went up the back stairs quietly unwilling to meet Mr. P or anyone else. Behind the door of apartment 2A, they could hear voices, many voices, all talking at once and interrupting each other. 
Of one accord, the other three stepped aside to let Dale close to the door. Can you tell anything? Carrie whispered. Dale shook his head. No, I can't pick out Mr. C's thoughts at all. There are too many people and they're too emotional. I think that makes it harder. Katie hesitated, swallowed, then spoke with determination. It was true that she wasn't wanted by the police, and she had the backing of her new friends. Maybe they didn't need to read anybody's mind. Why don't we walk in, she said, touching the unlatched door with her fingertips. Maybe they'll tell us what it's all about. And that was what they did. Monica gave a cry of relief and rushed across the living room to crush Katie in a tight hug. Darling, where have you been? Why did you run away? I didn't want to go to jail. I didn't hurt Grandma. Really, I didn't. And I thought they were going to put me in jail. Monica's eyes were filled with tears. We'd never let anyone do that, darling. Never. Nathan appeared behind her. You okay, kid? You aren't hurt? No, I'm all right. Katie saw a blur of faces around the room. Even Mrs. M was there in one of her flowered moomoos, looking as if her hair had just barely survived a hurricane. You all mad at me? No, no, Monica said. We only called the police because we thought something had happened to you. There was blood in the kitchen and you aren't used to cities. Little girls get in trouble all the time in cities. So we asked the television stations to run your picture in case anyone had seen you. Oh, Katie, you scared me half to death. Katie looked past her mother to Mr. C, who was running a hand through his hair so it stood up almost as wildly as Mrs. M's. He was asking questions about me. He said the armbrusters thought I hurt Grandma, and I thought he intended to lock me up. Mr. C made a face. I guess I bungled the whole thing. I didn't mean to scare you, Katie. I was asking questions, but not because I wanted to lock you up. I was trying to find out the truth so I could protect you. I'm not a policeman. I'm with the Institute of Psychic Phenomena. Katie blinked. What's that? He glanced at her companions, then back at Katie. It's a place where we investigate children like you and teach them. We're all learning together, actually. I guess I need to learn a lot myself about how to handle cases like this without frightening people the way I did you, Katie. She wasn't sure she liked being referred to as a case. Katie shifted her weight uneasily. You scared Mrs. M and that scared me. I thought you were going to lock me up. Mrs. M nodded her shaggy head. Yes, he did. You oughtn't go around scaring people pretending to be a friend and then being so nosy, everybody guesses you aren't what you seem. I didn't tell him a thing, Katie. I didn't trust him. Her usually pleasant face was contorted in a scowl. I still don't. Mr. C spread his hands in a gesture of helplessness. All right, I admit it. I handled this badly. But you see, when there are people, particularly children, who have what we call paranormal powers, the ability to do things ordinary people can't do? Well, most of them learn very quickly not to let other people know how different they are. They keep it a secret, hide it, and often the other people around them, parents and neighbors who love them, cover up too. They're afraid of what will happen if it gets out that the kids can move things without touching them, create winds, read minds, that kind of thing. Monica had a very peculiar expression on her face. You've been telling us that Katie really can move things with the power of her mind. And these other children? They can do things like that too? Katie saw that the other parents present were similar expressions. Mr. C had been talking to them, but it didn't appear that any of them had told him anything about their own children, even though they had all been disturbed about their unusual qualities. How did you know anything about me? Katie asked slowly. Mr. C was eager to answer that. One of your teachers read an article I'd written for a professional magazine, Katie, he said. She wrote to tell me she thought you might be like the special children I work with at the Institute. 
I had a vacation coming, so I went to Delaney to meet you. Only your grandmother had died, and you had left town, so I had to settle for talking to the people who knew you. Some of them, like the Armbrusters, were hostile enough to make accusations against you. That's not too unusual. Mr. Pollard, right here in this building, has done the same thing. He's afraid of you, and he'd like to see you taken away from here. He had turned so that he was addressing them all, the children, but also the parents who waited in silence. I asked a lot of questions because I had to be sure that Katie was one of the special children. I get a lot of mail about people who are supposed to be able to do unusual things. Frankly, a lot of them are fakes. Some of them are trying to make money by pretending to be able to talk with someone else's dead relatives, for instance. It's a field in which there are a lot of charlatans. Nobody asked what a charlatan was. Katie already knew it was a person who pretended to be something he wasn't, usually in order to cheat someone else. Our school is for children who are genuinely blessed and with extraordinary powers, Mr. C went on. We want to help them learn how to develop their powers to the greatest extent. Katie was smart enough to figure out that there might be more of you, the ones who are here today, all born to mothers who worked with a dangerous drug. Well, of course, all drugs are potentially dangerous, but this one was so dangerous it was discontinued by the manufacturer when he realized it could do real harm to the people who handled it. Sort of like being around when an atom bomb goes off. He took a deep breath. The drug didn't necessarily cause obvious trouble right then, but tests, even ten years ago, showed that its use could have serious consequences years later, just the way it has had with these children. But in this case, the results were not bad. The four of you have powers the rest of us don't have, powers that could be of immense value to the human race. We at the Institute want to know what these powers are, and how they can be developed to produce the most good for the most people. I know from what Mr. Pollard and the others said that Katie, at least, can do some amazing things. Katie stood there, neither denying nor admitting to anything. She still wasn't sure she trusted Mr. C any more than Mrs. M did. Nobody else was admitting anything either. Look, Mr. C said, I know you've all had difficulties adjusting to going to school and living with ordinary people. Mrs. Michaelmas thought I should leave you alone to be a normal girl. But the thing is, Katie, you aren't normal. You're going to have more than the usual number of problems in growing up, and we think we can guide and help you with them. It was true. She always seemed to have more problems than most kids. Katie was intrigued at the thought that it might be possible to use her abilities openly. It would be nice not to have to watch her step every single minute, the way she'd been doing or trying to do. Are there other kids at your school? She asked. Like us? Yes, there are 17 there now. We think there will be more, but it's hard to find them. They don't know about us or they don't understand, and they try not to be found. Did their mothers all handle that drug before they were born? Katie asked. No, only the mothers of you four children handled that particular drug, as far as we know. Some of the others were born to mothers who worked with other dangerous substances, and some of them are still a mystery to us. We don't know why those children have special talents. It's one of the things we're working to find out. Dale spoke slowly. We wouldn't be considered freaks at your school, would we? We wouldn't have to remember not to do things that are perfectly normal to us, Carrie added, so that people wouldn't think we were crazy. Sometimes people think I'm crazy or a witch or something. She sounded wistful. I promise you, Mr. C said, at our school, nobody would consider you a witch or a freak. Eric cleared his throat. And what is it you want of Katie, and of us? Why were you investigating? Because, Mr. C said, I would very much like for you all to come and live at our school. You'll like it there, I think. He smiled, but none of the children smiled back at him. Not yet. Try as she might, Katie could not read anything in his mind, couldn't tell how sincere he was. Did he want to help them, or only 
in some way she didn't yet understand to help himself. She didn't quite see what he would do for himself, but she was still getting used to the idea that he didn't want to put her in jail. Is there a wall around your school? She asked thoughtfully. Wall? No, there's a fence, an ordinary fence, because the school is on a rather large estate, and we have our own farm animals that have to be kept in. It's a very pretty place. But not here? A long way off? Mr. C smoothed down his hair. About 300 miles away, he admitted. But you'd be with other kids like yourselves. Kids who would accept you the way you are. It was Dale who put the next question. Are they really like us? Do they have silver-colored eyes, too? Well, no, Mr. C said. Actually, only you four have silver eyes, of all the children we've discovered so far. We may find others, of course. Katie glanced at her mother. Monica had been so relieved to see her, Katie couldn't doubt that she'd been genuinely worried. Now Monica gave her a little smile that made something feel funny in Katie's middle. I want to know the other kids, Katie said slowly. But if we're all kept apart in a special school, won't we still be freaks? People know the kids at your school are different, don't they? Won't they still be afraid of us and suspicious of us? There was a silence, and Monica reached for Katie's hand. Katie's right. Children, at least young children, need to have a normal family life, don't they? Even if they are special, they need to know their parents and brothers and sisters, don't they? They need to be able to relate to other people, the people they'll eventually have to live with and deal with, unless they're going to be isolated from the rest of society forever. That's not what we want, is it? They'd feel more at home in a school for kids like themselves, Mr. Casey said. Wouldn't they? I know Dale doesn't fit into his school very well. It's hard for him to make friends among ordinary kids. And I'll have to admit, it's been very uncomfortable for us, having a kid who's bright and different from anybody else's kids. We have to keep pretending to our friends that he isn't different. Mrs. Michaelmas is my friend, Katie said. Even if she doesn't understand what I do or how I do it. And Jackson Jones is my friend, too. He doesn't have special powers either, but he helped me. Maybe it would be better to learn to live with all the regular kind of people. Couldn't we do that and go to the school, too? Only just part of the time, not living there all the time? The school is a long way from here, Katie, Mr. C said gently. Well, there are four of us here, Eric spoke up. He shoved his glasses back up on his nose without ever touching them, just the way Katie was used to doing. Why couldn't we live at home and have our own school? Sort of an extension school, the way the colleges do? Mrs. Casey gave a nervous laugh. Yes, why not? We could tell people our children were in a special school without telling them how it was special. Let's face it, the public in general is afraid of anyone who's different. Maybe the kids can handle it when they're grown up, but right now they can't, can they? Why couldn't we tell everybody they're in a school for especially bright children? Even being in a school for slow learners would be easier to understand than the truth, Mrs. Lamont said. Why couldn't we have a school here? I mean, they could go to the regular schools during the week, like the other kids do, and then on Saturdays, maybe, they could have special classes the way they do for the gifted children program, where they learn Russian and advanced math and things like that. Our kids could learn whatever they'd be learning at your school. Carrie had a soft, sweet voice. I think at Mr. C's school, they want to study us as if we were bugs. We do want to know more about you, Mr. C admitted, but not as if you were bugs, Carrie. You're special people and you can probably be important leaders or do things that will be of tremendous benefit to mankind if you want to. We think we can help you do that and also help you learn to be happy in a world that's mostly filled with people who may have to be taught how to accept your differences. Katie felt Monica's fingers tighten on hers. 
I think Eric's right. And Fern's idea is good, too, Monica said. I can see that Katie does need to be with other children like herself. But I think she needs to learn to know ordinary kids, too. And we lived apart for six years. We're just beginning to get acquainted with each other again. I'd like to keep Katie at home at least for a few more years until she's more grown up. Though I guess I'll leave it up to her, whether she wants to stay with me or go to your school. Well, I guess we're going to have to talk about this a bit, Mr. Casey said. It's too important to make a decision without some serious consideration, Mr. Cooper. And of course, the kids will have to have a big say in it, too. I think they'd better have a chance to get acquainted with each other. Maybe we could all visit your school before we decide what to do. Katie could see that Mr. C was disappointed that they didn't all agree at once to what he wanted. The idea of living in a place with a lot of kids like herself did make her sort of excited, but it was kind of scary, too. She glanced at the others, and she didn't need to be a mind reader to know that they all felt the same way about it. Carrie's father cleared his throat loudly and asked, What does the school cost? I mean, we're not rich people. We can't afford private schools. All the grown-ups started talking at once, but Katie didn't listen to them. She looked at the other silver-eyed children, and by mutual consent, without any of them saying a thing, they all moved toward the door that led out onto the deck. Dale slid the patio doors closed on the noisy voices and joined the others at the railing, looking down over the swimming pool. They hadn't had a chance to talk to each other very much, yet somehow they didn't seem to need to. Considering that they were all strangers, Katie felt remarkably comfortable with them. Could you tell? she asked Dale. Read Mr. C's mind? Is it on the level? Or is it like Carrie said, they want to study us like bugs? A little of both, I think, Dale said thoughtfully. I mean, I think he's sincere in saying he wants what's best for us and for everybody else. I don't know if we'd always agree with him that what he wants is what we want. Unexpectedly, he grinned. I think it might not be too hard to pretend we're bugs under the microscope and that we didn't understand what he wanted of us. Things would be a lot easier, Eric observed, with four of us than with each of us alone. Nobody responded to that. They didn't have to. They stood in a row with their hands on the railing and saw Mr. Pollard come out of the building with a towel and suntan lotion and his newspaper. Miss Katzenberger was already there in her electric blue bikini, and he walked up and said something to her. Miss Kay shook her head. Then Mr. P put a hand on her arm, and Miss Kay shook it off, as if she were irritated with him. At that moment, Lobo started across the pool area. He didn't want to drink from the pool. The chlorine in it made it taste bad. Katie guessed he was only taking a shortcut. Then suddenly, from the corner where the door opened onto the area near the back alley, a familiar figure appeared. A big Airedale sniffing around and lifting his head. Toby, he must have followed me again, Eric muttered and started to move toward the stairs. Where did that mutt come from? Mr. Pollard demanded. Get out of here, you! Shoo! Toby didn't pay any attention to Mr. P. He took one look at Lobo and barked, a great deep bark that sent poor Lobo flying. The next thing the watchers saw was Mr. P kicking and yelling as the animals raced past him. His suntan lotion sailed into the pool, and so did his newspaper, and his towel wrapped itself around his head and face so that Mr. P staggered, lost his balance, and went backward into the pool, shoes and all. When he came to the surface, sputtering and choking and tearing away the sodden towel, Miss K laughed. Toby and Lobo had disappeared, but Katie wasn't worried about Lobo. He could look out for himself. Mr. P looked up and saw the four children above on the deck. His face got red, and so did his bald spot. He made a savage grab for the pages of the newspaper before the sheets floated away or sank and threw the unreadable mess onto the tiles in front of Miss K. She was still laughing. There are four of them now, he said, 
his voice carrying clearly to the silent watchers. There ought to be a law against kids like that. You aren't blaming them for your falling in the pool, are you? Miss Kay asked. They weren't anywhere near you. You know, Mr. Pollard, if that little girl bothers you so much, why don't you consider moving? I have a friend who's looking for an apartment. The one you have would suit her just fine. Mr. P didn't answer. He started to climb out of the water, and as if the soaked newspaper had a life of its own, it suddenly rose from the tiles and plastered itself across the man's chest and face. Katie hadn't done anything at all. She wasn't sure which of the others had. She simply waited to see what would happen, and in a way she could almost feel a little bit sorry for Mr. P. He doesn't pay the paper boy, Katie said softly. He hates dogs and cats, Eric added. He uses slugs and vending machines, Dale murmured. He uses nasty language, Carrie observed. Just then, Mr. P reached for the floating bottle of suntan lotion. As his fingers began to close around it, the plastic container spurted away, sailing halfway across the pool. With an oath, Mr. P plunged after it, and Miss K laughed again. Above on the deck, Katie turned her head to look at Carrie, whose mouth widened in a secret smile. Whether we go off to school or stay at home, we're going to have a lot of fun together. Yes, Katie thought back. And then they were all smiling, the same secret smile, touching all four pair of silver eyes in the same way. Whatever happened now, Katie thought, just for herself, she didn't believe she was ever going to be lonesome again. And when she looked at Carrie and Dale and Eric, she knew they were thinking the same thing. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stick around for next week when we start Season 3.